Well, as you can see from the screen, the title of this morning's sermon is Fill My Cup, Lord. Fill My Cup, Lord. The origin of this sermon actually comes back to Bible camp last summer. Uh, we run, our church puts on with, along with a number of other local Bible churches that we're affiliated with, summer camps for youth. And there's three different age groups and they range usually somewhere between three or four nights for each age group. And we, it's all staffed by volunteers from those various Bible churches and it's quite a production. And we generally have about somewhere around 100 youth come to each of those camps. So about 300 young people per summer get to be a part of that. And each year there's a theme that is taught for all of the different camps by a variety of different speakers during the lesson times or the message times at camp. And last summer, the theme for camp was just simply Psalm 23. And then different speakers taught through different phrases or parts of those verses to fill out the teaching schedule for each of those camps. And after being heavily involved in the camps, that's actually where my ministry start began when I was just 17 years old. I was a volunteer counselor at the third through fifth grade camp due to there not being enough people. And so that's where I really had, I would say, my first taste in ministry. And always from then on, it helped to develop a real passion, especially for young people in youth ministry. And so Bible camp has been a part of my life as a, as a child going to camp and then as a counselor for going on. I guess I went to camp in third grade, so nine years old. I'm 44 now. What's that, 35 years now? Is that the math? I'm not strong in math. <laughs> but 35 years or so being a part of those Bible camps. In any event, that was the theme for this past camp. And so being so involved in all three of those camps, hearing all of these different speakers bring out all of these different neat ideas from Psalm 23, of course, you know, there's mention maybe stealing that song for a church. We're in the business of stealing things when you're in, when you're in ministry. We take things we hear and it inspires us to want to share some of those same truths, study out some of those same truths, pray on some of those same truths ourselves. And so that's exactly what I did. I thought, I can't have listened to all this, been so inspired by this, and then not teach this at church. So I decided to teach a series on Psalm 23. And that, I called it a mini-series, but it ended up being 11 one-hour messages. <laughs> I can see a few of you are starting to panic here today. Uh, not to worry. My daughter helps me keep track of the time when I'm speaking at youth events. Um, my daughter and sometimes I have some nieces and nephews that come at the last youth retreat I was supposed to speak for, I think it was supposed to be 40 minutes. I said, at, at 30 minutes, give me some kind of a signal to let me know I'm kind of running out of time. And she came up with a little signal. I'm not sure how appropriate it was, but she kind of... <laughs> so... Her and her cousins were both doing that, my nieces, while I was speaking. This is a few weeks ago. So in, in any event, she'll be watching the clock for you all, and we'll be able to hopefully get through on, on time here this morning. So she'll have your backs. But I'm actually planning on doing a quick overview of sort of all of Psalm 23, and then using the bulk of my time to explore this last phrase of verse 5, my cup runs over where we got the title. Now, the actual sermon title, though, came from this contemporary worship song by Andrew Ripp, and I don't know if any of you know it, but it's titled, Fill My Cup. 
And if you haven't heard it, there's another one to check out. It's a great, great song. But I fell in love with it when I heard it for the first time because this was on my mind. This is something that had been a part of my life recently, Psalm 23. I grew up having memorized Psalm 23. In fact, Psalm 23.1 was my grandmother's favorite verse, and she was the one ultimately who was most instrumental in terms of grandparents to my spiritual upbringing, though it was still not as much as you would have liked it to, to be, perhaps. But uh, her favorite verse was Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm not even sure. She never quoted the rest of the psalm to me. That's the, that's the verse that she was her life verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so the essence, as you think about even fill my cup, the essence of proper Christianity or a pro- proper Christian mentality, I should say, is succinctly summarized in this expression, fill my cup, Lord. That expression summarizes what our mentality ought to be as we're thinking about where am I going to get my source of filling? And Pastor John talked even in his introduction just a little bit about it. It's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be searching for meaning or purpose in the wrong thing, seeking to be filled up or intentionally or unintentionally allowing our lives to be filled up with things that can't possibly benefit us. They can't possibly lead to uh, or draw us near to the Lord or lead to a life that would be well lived from his perspective. And so as I was thinking even about this song, the spiritual battle is always for your thinking. That as you think about being a Christian, that's where the battleground is between the ears. That's where it's being fought for your thinking. And you wonder, what is my heart's desire really? So if you think of the title of this message or the sermon, fill my cup, Lord, does that represent my heart's desire? That's something I want you to meditate on as we sort of look at this psalm today or work through it because the world isn't preaching this message. The flesh, the sin nature isn't trying to convince you to fill your cup with the Lord. The devil isn't interested in promoting this message, fill my cup, Lord. So the enemies are all actively promoting a different message beside, besides this. And this is the only one that can give life in terms of positionally or practically in our Christian living. This is the only way we can find life is to fill our cup or have our cup filled with the right things. And in the context of Psalm 23, that's just said to be the Lord. So you're always being bombarded with these alternate sources of filling and the word of God makes it so clear that we need to have our minds filled with the Lord or even an alternate of that would be his truth. But ultimately that's being filled with the Lord. The meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, David says. Well, how is that gonna be true? Only if I'm spilling what I'm filled with, if I've inputted the right information into my thinking and into my Mind. Well, before I end up giving you a sermon before a sermon, let's take a little bit closer look at David's perspective here in Psalm 23. So if you've got Bibles, you could turn there. I don't have it all up on the PowerPoint. I'm not really a PowerPoint guy. I have a few verses up there to save us some time, but if you've got an, a phone or app on your tablet or whatever, Psalm 23, let's just start maybe by reading through it. We'll try to do it quickly. Psalm 23 I happen to be reading from New King James Version, but whatever your version is, just follow along. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. There's our portion for today. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, show of hands, how many of you had memorized this psalm, or is this something that's well memorized down here, too? Yeah, quite a few hands. How many of you are familiar with it anyway if you hadn't memorized it? Quite a few of you. So as we dig into this, a lot of this isn't new, but if I'm gonna just review and kind of bring us up to speed to the part I really wanna focus in here at the end of verse five, there's a little bit of summary I just wanted to do. So let's just start with verse one because verse one acts as the summary statement for the whole psalm. And I, I hope you take something away from this just as my grandmother apparently did The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That summarizes the whole psalm. As if you were to paraphrase this, it would be, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And in fact, depending on what version of the Bible you're looking at, yours might say that. In fact, I think think it's NIV, actually, that says, I'm not sure what the first part is, but it says, I lack nothing. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Say that out loud. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Do you believe that? Are you convinced of that this morning? I hope so. It's, it's very easy to wax and wane when it comes to that, though, right? It's easy to be convinced in a moment and then lose that conviction when the road gets a little bit tough, right? When, when trials come along, when the bumps start happening, when things aren't going the way you hoped, If you don't believe that's true, just watch me when I can't get the truck packed the way I want it to on a camping trip like this. It's pretty easy to go from I lack nothing to frustration. Great starting verse, great summary of what comes next because David then uses the remainder of the psalm to elaborate further about exactly what the Lord's complete care entails. So if you lack nothing, it must mean that the Lord has provided everything that you need, right? So then David spends the whole rest of the psalm getting more specific or elaborating further about what exactly does God's complete care entail? What goes into that? And he uses this variety of descriptive phrases. Now, with that in mind, if Psalm 1 is our summary statement, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, let's look at these Next eight examples that lead us up to the ninth one that we're going to cover more in more detail here this morning. Uh, let's pick up in verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's one. He leads me beside the still water. So as you think about he makes me lie down in green pastures, he, pl- he provides a place of rest. Now he leads me beside still water. He brings me to a place of refreshment. He restores my soul, speaks for itself. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Will you naturally find the right paths using your own human judgment, your own human wisdom, your own being guided by yourself? No. I need you. I need you. Every hour, I need you. Without him, I lose my way. 
That's all there is to it. If he, if he weren't able to lead me, I couldn't get myself out of a paper bag. I can't even remember what I went to the grocery store for. I can't be in control of my own direction, my own paths, my own life. I need God to be the one who's going to undertake to give me some purpose, to give me some direction, to give me some provision along the way. I'm not going to be able to do that on my own. There's so much humility that comes in a proper understanding of Christianity. It's not I, it's Christ. It's not I, it's Christ. It's all him, it's not me. I can, without him, I can do nothing, but with him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's two sides to that coin though, right friends? It's, it's not just, I can do nothing, poor me. I can never get anything right. I'm such a failure. In your flesh, by nature you are. But you're a child of the king. As a son of God, as a son of heaven, having been blessed with every spiritual blessing, having God's very spirit living inside of you, there's nothing that you can't do when he's the one leading. Amen? Got to remember both sides to it, though, because if I don't bring myself low so that he can lift me up, naturally, oh, things are going pretty good. Yeah. I got this figured out now. (laughs) Trip onto the face. That's so true, but so necessary to be reminded of these things. And you talk about why do we come out and hear the teaching of the Word, spend time in the Word, uh, have fellowship with other believers, listen to programming that would uplift, listen to music or lyrics that could bring us back to a proper mentality. It's because we're so hard-headed. We forget so easily. And so, another reminder here this morning, He leads me in the paths that are right. And who gets all the glory? For his name's sake, because that's the kind of God he is. That's a way of taking that. Now, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's the fifth specific provision of God. I can go through these difficult times and these difficult, difficult places. I can have no fear of evil because I'm so strong, because I'm so great, because I have such a firm foundation under me. No, because I see that he's with me. And when he's with me, I can walk right through that with no fear, knowing that he's in control and he's got this. You know, a common saying, I coach junior high girls basketball, one of the things that they say to each other when they're trying to encourage each other, a lot of times they say, come on, Susie, you got this. And that's what we are prone to think when it comes to the spiritual life too. You got this. And God's like, no, you don't got this. (laughs) But I got this. Will you trust me? Will you let me lead? Will you let me undertake? Then we come to the sixth one here. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're saying God's direction, God's correction, it can be comforting. It can be needed and necessary. Yeah, his direction. So one of these was used to direct. One of these was used to correct. So direction and correction. Do we at times need a little bit of a whack across the rump like a shepherd would do to a sheep that was going off, off the path? Yeah, direction and correction. Right here in this phrase, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They're needed. They're beneficial. Verse, the seventh one, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What a descriptive way of talking about God's complete care. Where is this now that this table that's being, this feast that's being prepared? It's in the presence of my enemies. Does God say he'll take away the enemies? Does he say he'll remove difficulties and tribulations and trials from your life? 
No, he doesn't. He says, in this life you will have trials, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. We're overcomers because he's an overcomer. We're now positionally identified in him. I overcome because he overcomes. Isn't that amazing? Again, all of the focus of Christianity properly understood puts all the focus on God. If you're ever wondering, is my theology getting off track? Just ask yourself, where is the light shining? Is the light shining at me or is it shining on God? It's so easy, it's so subversive, it's so subtle, the way that false theology creeps in. That's always the test. Who's the spotlight on? And if it's, if it's suggesting that you're the focus, you're the center, you're the thing that matters most, then you got it wrong. We're gonna have so many messages by the time this is done that weren't on this page. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The eighth one, you anoint my head with oil. This was a soothing care that would be done after weary traveling by a gracious host to provide for his guest. It was a, an anointing of oil that would help with even the dryness of the climate. It would be helpful even for in a, in a soothing way for a weary traveler. Now there's anointing in, in the sense of being called to a specific purpose. There was symbolically the anointing of even kings of Israel in the sense that you're being selected or chosen by God for this specific purpose. But in this context, it's more just generally the provision of this gracious host for a loving guest. And so then we get to this ninth descriptive phrase, my cup runs over. Now, one thing I want you to see as we come into this more focused study here at the end of verse five is verse five marks a shift in imagery. God had been described as a shepherd caring for his sheep, but now we have God or Yahweh being described as a host, a gracious host. God graciously is welcoming his special or beloved guest. There's this sense of this great lover affection that the host would have for this guest at his table. Now, I will say not everybody agrees that there's a motif shift here, but to me it's, it's pretty straightforward. I wouldn't die on a hill over it. Uh, but it just seems like there's a, a marked shift here in imagery. And why? Well, because God knows that some of us will get it if it's illustrated one way. Other people will re- respond to and will relate a little bit more to hearing it another way. And so that's a good reason why God goes at things or demonstrates or illustrates or explains things in more than one way. So now we have this gracious host this loving host, this loved or beloved guest, it's this beautiful picture here that you have, and there's this enhanced sense of intimacy with that motif over the, even the shepherd and the sheep motif because as you think and you look at your text here, you have he, so as you're going through the first verses, the first four verses, you have he makes me lie down, he leads me, he restores, he leads, it's his namesake, the why walk through, I will fear no evil for you are with me. So it's your rod and your staff So there's a little bit of change there, but now you get to you instead of he. David's now talking to God instead of talking about God. So he's describing what God has done. He's talking about about what God has done in these first verses, but then he shifts to this very personal way of describing God with you. So now he's talking to God directly. You are with me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. And so it has this I would just say a little bit more intimate feel to it. Now, the primary theme, though, continues. It's, the theme is God's complete care for his children. 
And so as we look at these first two phrases, even in this new motif of the loving host and his beloved guest, you see, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. Both of those first two phrases, they highlight the generosity of God's blessing. Do we have a generous God? We have a generous God. And his generosity is highlighted by these two phrases. Now this final phrase is especially focused on the abundance of God's favor and care. So first of all, we had sort of the highlighting of the generosity itself, but now the abundance of God's care as we look at this phrase, my cup runs over. So let's dig a little deeper into these verses, these, not verses, but these words here. My cup runs over. So we start with my, and this should remind you of the personal and intimate relationship that the believer possesses positionally and is to experience practically with the Lord. That's God's design that I would have this close position through faith alone and his finished work alone, his provision to deal with my sinfulness. And David had to respond the same way. He had to see, I have a need. God undertook to meet my need, to deal with the sinfulness I could never deal with on my own. God had to undertake to meet that need. I respond in faith to the provision that God has made available to me. I put all of my eggs in that basket. I put all of my dependence on that. I trust in that exclusively, and I now become a child of God. It's a familial relationship now where positionally I'm in God's family, and my loving father is having this desperate desire to want to live life intimately with me and fellowship with me, to experience life with me. And I ought to have that desire to want to have that personal intimate relationship practically with the Lord. Now, I can't have that practical relationship with the Lord that's intimate and personal if I haven't first first come to a place where I saw that I needed to put my trust in God's solution to my sinfulness. We call that positional truth. I have to go from being identified with who I was in Adam to now being identified with Jesus Christ, being in Christ. How is that done? That's the message that Paul was proclaiming, the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, how that he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. The gospel is the message of good news about how God would make a way for a sinful man who had been estranged by God estranged from God on the basis of his sin to be reconciled to God. And so there was only one of two options available, right? Uh, This isn't unfamiliar territory for you unless perhaps maybe you're new here, but I've heard John speak of this often. Two options available, right? God being perfectly holy, being perfectly righteous, he couldn't have fellowship with sin without being tainted by that sinfulness. We're identified with the sinfulness of Adam because the Bible says that by one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death came with sin and then death spread to all men because all had sinned. And we move to the book of Romans and it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who's even seeking after God. We're described as, in Romans a little bit later, we're described as God's enemies, estranged from God, separated from God on the basis of our association with God the sin of Adam and our own personal sinfulness. There's not one just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. It's a condition that all men find themselves in. But God had a, had a way. He said, in addition to being just and holy, part of my character is that I'm loving too. God is love, John says in 1 John. God is love and in him there is 
no darkness at all. Now, I think I might have got that wrong, but it's probably two verses together. As you think about that, though, God is love. He's described by his loving disposition toward you and I. So as he looked at this and he said, here's man, they're in this predicament, they're in this bind. Here's man separated by a barrier of sin. Here's a holy and just God and a loving God, but he says the penalty of sin is that you have to remain estranged or separated from me. So the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Speaking of this separation, this spiritual separation from God and his love. But the verse thankfully doesn't end there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you think about that. If the penalty, the just debt that's owed for sinfulness is death, then there's two options. Either I have to die as a consequence of my own sinfulness and my identification with a race of sinners, or there has to be a substitute who's willing to die in my place. That's the message of the gospel. That a God who loved us sent a substitute. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is how Jesus is introduced by John the Baptist. The first thing said about Jesus in his adult ministry, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he had to become sin for us. He had to die for sins he had not committed so that you and I could go free. An innocent had to take the place of the guilty or the guilty had to die. It was that simple. So the innocent, spotless Lamb of God died in our place. He bore of all, all of our sins in his own body on the tree, and he cried out, it is finished, meaning the work had been done. So now the issue isn't even sin anymore. John 3.18 says, he who believes is not condemned, but he who believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. You see, he doesn't say because he's still a sinner. He is a sinner. That sin entitled him or the, the just penalty for that was death, but Christ already died for that sin. The question is, will we put that payment to our account? Will we, will we have that redemptive payment of Christ credited to our account by putting our faith in the finished work of Christ? And so that was ultimately the message of salvation that the Bible presented that we can have access to that by simply trusting in what Jesus has already done for us. Now, that's called positional salvation. I'm now saved from the penalty of my sin. I'm now, my identity shifts from being in Adam, being dead in trespasses sins, to being made alive, and now I'm in Christ. How? What changed? I put my faith in God's solution to my sinfulness. Now, I'm positionally identified as being in Christ. And, and being in Christ now, I have a new name. I've been adopted that was spoken about here this morning. I'm in God's royal family. And he says what? I will never let you go. As you think about that, he says, but now that you are positionally in my family, now that you're my son, I want to live life with you. I don't want to be distant from you. I don't want you to be running away from me. I don't want you to be doing your own thing. I want you to be enjoying intimacy with me, leaning into me, depending on me, relying on me, trusting me to direct and guide, give you guidance for life. And ultimately, that's what this is about as you're thinking about this mentality of my cup runs over, is this idea that as I'm living life with a God who loves me, who's gonna provide completely for my every need, that I can have this intense and intimate relationship with him. 
This idea where experientially I'm living life with him. I'm going to dine at his table. I'm stopping by his house. I'm sitting down and enjoying a meal with him. I'm letting him fill my cup up as I sit there to the point where it's running all over the table. So when we have this simple word, my, there's a lot loaded in there. It's my cup runneth over, but I'm thinking about this personal relationship that I have with God. There's been 24 personal pronouns leading up to this point. This is a very personal psalm where David is talking to a very personal God. Now, as we think about this word cup, my cup runneth over, you drink a host's refreshment from a cup during any meal. That, there's no greater interpretation than, that you need to have than that. Some people have tried to dig a little bit deeper, but the interpretation is pretty straightforward. A host provides a vessel for drinking refreshment while you're a guest at their home. And this is a loving host with a beloved guest. Now, the abundant and generous provision of the host continues to be the focus. You notice as you look through this psalm, the focus is never about David. It's all about God's complete care and provision for him. And it continues here with my cup runneth over. It's the abundant and generous provision of the Lord that is the primary theme. And God provides not just a little bit. He provides completely. Here's, I skipped one verse. It's not on here. But you know it possibly, Philippians 4.19. Anyone want to stand up and say that? (laughs) I say that to the young people at church. I never have any takers. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And you think about it, it's not, it's not some of your need, it's all of your need. Who's the one providing it? What's the vehicle for getting access to that? By Christ Jesus. So God's complete provision is still the focus here. And as you think about God's supply, it's never lacking or incomplete. And if you think of in about this word cup, the cup is also an indirect reference to God here, since he is the one who provides all that is needed for his children to thrive as he intended. He is the source or the vehicle of refreshment, meaning he's the cup and he's the refreshment that goes in it. Have you ever thought about that, my cup? He's the one who gave you the cup. He's the vessel itself, and he's the refreshment that goes in it. He's the source or the vehicle that can contain or, or be the means to that refreshment, and then he provides the refreshment. Now, this is where I wanted to go to this verse here, Psalm 16, 5. David talks about this in another passage where he says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Now, who's the focus on here? God's complete care and provision for his Children, the focus isn't on David. The focus is on God. I see you as the complete source of care and provision for you, for me. And the refreshment ultimately is found in a relationship with him. You want to talk about your cup being capable of holding God's refreshment or God providing the cup and then refreshing you or filling it up. You have to have a relationship with him first. And we talked about that in terms of, you have to get to a point where you say, I see that I had a need. I see that God provided the solution to that need, and I'm going to put my trust in that. That minute, then I can enter into that familial relationship with God where I'm now his child. I've been born again, born into a new family, a royal family, and I've received all of the blessings that come with that. And so it starts with that relationship with him. But David, he must receive or accept the cup and the contents from the host. I hope you see that. 
God doesn't force himself. The host wants to provide this refreshment for his weary guest, but God doesn't force the guest to take the refreshment, just like a host wouldn't force you to take the refreshment that he offers. You say, do you want a cup? No, I don't want a cup. Do you want me to fill it up? No, I don't want you to fill it up. Okay, suit yourself. It seems like you're kind of weary from your travels. Seems like kind of dusty and arid climate out there. Seems pretty inhospitable out in the world where you've come from. Yeah, I'd think you'd want a, a glass and some refreshment to go in it. Nah, no, I like misery. <laughs> I like being parched. And that's sort of the idea in the sense that David had to receive or accept the cup and its contents from the host. Now, a similar idea is communicated here in Psalm 116, 13, as you think about being willing to call on the Lord. He says this, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Now, look at those words there, take up and call upon. There's this volitional aspect to it where a choice is being made. The salvation is available. The provision is available. The rescue is available. Will you take it? Will you accept it? Will you drink it in, so to speak? And so that's communicated here, even in this one word with the cup. Now we get to this phrase, runs over. My cup runs over. And the picture of abundance is communicated through this visualization of a cup that's not only filled to the brim, it's filled to the point where it's actually running over. And it communicates this idea that God's generous blessing has no limit to it. God is an abundant God. He is filling your cup to the point where it is running over the sides. It's splashing all over the table. We could demonstrate it here, but we'd have a mess. Imagine it, though. I have a cup. God gave me this, this cup, and he's, as, as my host, he, he's now filling it up. And he didn't say, say when. He just keeps pouring into it, and it's now running all over the table. And the problem is that too often God wants to continuously be pouring into this cup. So we're operating in a sense to the point of being over, we're overflowing, and we're doing this, moving a cup out of the way. As God's continuing to try to pour into it, we're like, no, I've got enough. I got all that I need. And in fact, when you look at the cup, it's empty but we've been conned into believing the cup is full. Other times when we look at the cup, in fact, it is full, but it's not filled with God's blessing. It's not filled with God's direction. It's not filled with God's provision. It's been filled up with other things, and we'll touch on that in a second here. But I want you to see this, though. My cup runs over. Remember, you're not filling your own cup. The focus is the provision of the loving host here. Imagine that liquid, liquid cascading down the sides of the cup. God's blessing is generous and complete. He doesn't fill your cup halfway. I run into Christians sometimes who feel like God is cheating them. God has let them down. God isn't giving them what they need. That's never the issue with God. The issue is my perception of what I think I need or what I think I want, what I think is best, where I'm not taking things from the Lord. I'm not allowing God to direct and provide, enable me to live the life that he wants for me. I'm convinced of some other truth so that as I listen to my sin nature, as I listen to the flesh, I listen to the rhetoric of the world around me, I'm convinced that God isn't, 
He's not providing for me. He's not undertaking for me. And that's never the reality of it. God is always undertaking and providing for his children. So I just want to bring out, share a few verses to remind you of this. You're probably familiar with them, but God is this abundant and rich God, and it's reflected in his care for you. It's never part way. But let's flash through a few of them here. Here's Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God who is, what, rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. How much mercy? He's rich. He's a rich and wealthy God. He's the king, and he's dealing with us in that framework. And it started with this great love. How much love? It's not just a little bit of love. This verse would have been effective if it, says, if it said, but God who is merciful because he loved us. It doesn't say that. It says God is rich in mercy, and he had great love for us. So even though our sins were great, his grace was more, and he, being rich in mercy and love for us, he wanted to bestow or provide for us abundantly. You see, Psalm 1611 carries on this idea, you will show me the path of life in your presence is, how much joy? A little bit of joy? The bare minimum amount of joy? Just a touch of joy? No, fullness of joy is in your presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we're using terms of not just a little bit, but complete provision here. It's a rich God. It's a God who's giving us full joy. Here's another verse here that brings out this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will the result of that be? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How abundant is your God? surpassing all understanding. You can't even wrap your mind around it. That's the kind of provider we have, the kind of God that we have. Second Corinthians 9, 8 says, and God is able to make all grace, now here you have it again, abound, not just a little bit, abound toward you, that you always, how often? Always having how much sufficiency? All sufficiency and how many things? All things may have an abundance for every good work. God doesn't hold back. He's not shortchanging you. Here's another passage, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He's not a shortchanging kind of God. He's not a little bit of what you need kind of a God. He's a complete provider. John 10.10 says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life. What kind of life? that they may have it more abundantly, abundant life, overflowing life, a cup where it's just racing over the sides and splattering down the table. That's the kind of God we have, and it's so easy to forget that. Romans eight thirty seven says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, he could have said that. He says we're more than conquerors. Wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be good enough to be a conqueror? But he says more than conquerors through him who loves us. And then we move on to this. My cup runs over. It pictures, I want you to see that it pictures this ongoing action. The believer's cup can perpetually overflow with spiritual blessing. It's not like it ran over once. It's running over. See the difference there? Like like one time, God topped you off, a little bit spilled down the side, and that was it. God continuously is filling your cup to the point of overflowing and continues to do so. Is that encouraging? 
when you're feeling like my life's a little bit empty, can you come back to the spiritual cup that you have, though, and say, my spiritual cup, though, is overflowing? Is it possible to be going through life and to be lacking or missing some key components to sort of a normal human experience? Is that possible? Let's talk about maybe a financial need. Is it possible to come up a few dollars short? How about emotionally? Is it possible to come up short and getting the kind of emotional interaction that you need in life? Yeah, possible. Is it, is it possible to come up a little bit short in terms of relationally where you just don't have too many human relationships in your life? And, and you could come up with other components or categories, right? But in the spiritual sense, if we come up short in the spiritual life where we feel like my cup isn't filled, it's not because God isn't pouring. It's because we're not receiving the filling that he's trying to provide. See, God just keeps pouring. And he wants our cups to be overflowing all of the time. The question is, will we allow that to be the case? Will we be seeking his filling? And you think about the blessings themselves, they're perpetual. You know, John 4, we don't have time to go there, but in John 4, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he says, if you drink of this water, what does he say? You'll never thirst again. See, it's not like a partial provision. It's a permanent and ongoing provision that God has for us. Now, I want you to know this. It doesn't mean that you will always appropriate the available blessings. They're available God is willing to pour them. He wants your cup to be overflowing with all of the spiritual blessings that are necessary. Now, he doesn't promise you prosperity in this life. I'm sad to say that that's not true. In fact, just as an aside, Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Does that sound like a message of physical prosperity? Jesus said he sent them out two by two and he sent them out with nothing. Did they ever lack anything? No. Did they come home healthy, wealthy, and wise? No. But spiritually, did God provide for their ever need in an overflowing and abundant way? Yes. Physically, was that necessarily the case? I'll tell you what, the apostles certainly didn't get the message or didn't get the memo if that's what God was promising Because in response or in return for their faithful service to the Lord, they were executed, they were crucified, historically, allegedly, upside down even perhaps. They were martyred for their faith. They were cast out of their communities. They lost everything that they had. They were used for sport in the Colosseum. They were burned alive at different times in human history. God's focus is on seek first the kingdom of God. It's an eternal perspective. We're citizens of heaven. We're strangers and pilgrims passing through this earth. We're not to set down roots. I mean, here we are digging out concrete foundations and putting in rebar, and God's like, no, travel light. I I want you to be passing through. I want to take you to places you wouldn't normally go. I want to take you out of the comfortable. I want to take you out of the familiar. I want to take you out of the known. I want to take you to the unknown, the unfamiliar, the uncomfortable. I want to move you in a way you would never move yourself. You see that? That's the message of God's word. It's not this, this life that we're, our flesh desperately wants where we're focused on the here and the now. It's about investing in eternity and laying up, storing up treasures in 
heaven. Another comment about your cup running over, it doesn't mean that your life will look blessed to others. God says, I'm going to fill your cup up to the point where it's overflowing if you'll just trust me. Will you come sit at my table? Will you let me fill up your cup? I'm going to fill it till the point is overflowing. Does that mean everyone else around you is going to look at your life and they're going to say, man, what a blessed life that is? No, because it's not focused on the temporal realm. It's focused on the spiritual and the eternal realm. That's where these truths really hit home. See, the blessings and provisions God wants to fill your cup to the point of overflowing with are exactly the blessings and provisions you need, but not necessarily the ones that you want. There's a song on Christian radio, at least where we're from, that says, but what if you, what if you know something I don't? What if you will something I won't? If you don't give me what I want, but you give me what I need, is that enough to believe, believe, believe in your love? If you don't give me what I want, but you give me what I need, is that enough? And that's the question we have to ask ourselves at times. Is that enough? Where I would trust that God is going to give me exactly what I need because he makes no mistakes. He knows exactly what it is, even though I could never pick it or choose it for myself. And you see, when you think about your own tendencies, you naturally fill up your life, you fill up your, your cup, you fill up your reservoir with useless things that have no lasting value. That's the default. doesn't mean on a human, there's no human good in that, there, there's not even, uh, there, that it's all sinful, not even saying that. It's just not, the things we naturally seek after when we're being guided by our flesh, by our human nature, they're things sometimes, they're exciting, they're worthwhile on some plane, they're not necessarily sinful, but they're not necessarily what God wants to fill our lives with either. And I think that's the thing Christians oftentimes are taught to get rid of the nasty dozen, the filthy six, whatever the whatever this obvious overt sin is. Like we don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls that do, right? And so we get to a point where we can cleanse our lives or eradicate our lives of the things that we would say that's overt sin. But then what takes its place sometimes? Busyness, the cares of this world, things that aren't necessarily sinful at all. But they hinder us from accomplishing the mission. They distract us from the cause. They limit our ability to be used of the Lord to impact the people and the places and spaces that he drives us to or brings us to in our lives. We're not available to be used in that way. So that's something that you think about. If you don't believe me, that it's true that you naturally fill your, your life up with things that are not as beneficial as what God wants to fill your life up with, just ask yourself what happened the last time you went to the grocery store, especially if you were hungry when you got home with $650 worth of items. Prices have gone up, huh? You looked around, I didn't plan to get that or that or that or that, but yet they found their way into my cart. Isn't that Target's whole business model? Isn't that the point of fancy displays and flashing lights to get us to fill our cart with things that we didn't need that are actually not beneficial in our lives? How am I doing for time? Hey, Dallas, where am I at? Close? All right. I want to end with just a couple of comments about this. God wants to overflow your cup. He's willing. He's, he's pouring. question is, will we allow him to fill it up? But I want you to think on this as we end. Your overflowing cup should benefit others around you. Make a note of that. Your overflowing cup is not for selfish reasons. 
God wants to overflow your cup so that he can use you. Use you in the lives of the lost as a light for Jesus. Use you in the lives of your fellow believers as a light for Jesus. You see, it's one mission. Be a light for him, an ambassador for him. God wants to use your overflowing cup to benefit others. When your cup is overflowing with God's goodness, it spills over positively into the lives of others around you. You spill what you're filled with. You've heard that saying, right? You spill. So as your cup is overflowing with God's goodness, with God's direction, with God's provision, it's naturally gonna benefit others around you. Now think about if you were to fill your cup up in the morning with something. Let's just say coffee. I don't drink coffee, but let's just say you filled your cup up with coffee. Here you got a cup. It's filled to the brim. Now what happens as you kind of go through life? You know, if you're like me, you can't hold something steady anymore, right? At, what, what other things happen in life? There's bumps along the way, right? The road isn't perfectly flat. The kids left the toys out everywhere. The dog trips you. Stuff starts splashing out of your life. What's going to splash out is what you put in. Did you fill up this morning with God's truth, with God's perspective, with divine viewpoint, with God's enablement? Did, did you remember that it's only through him that this is possible? Did you get your eyes looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? That's my, one of my favorite passages. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance or patience, the race that is set before us. Okay, there's the mission, but how do we do it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We don't run the race by looking at self. So as I'm looking at Jesus and filling up my cup with him, his truth, his perspective, his direction for my life, that's what's gonna spill out of my life as I'm going through it. And I want you to know this, you cannot be filled with his provision and his power at the same time as you're filled with the world, human wisdom, sin, pride, self. If you're filled up with those things, you're not gonna be filled up with what God wanted to fill you up with. It's one or the other. You know, this idea of straddling the fence, it's not possible. It's either serve the Lord or serve self. It's either draw near to him or distance yourself from him. It's either involve him or exclude him. And he wants to be the center of it all. He wants to go through life with you right by, with you right by his side or vice versa. See, God is looking for a willing and empty vessel to use. Empty myself so that God can fill me up. He fills those empty vessels with the right things. We don't have to worry about that. I just have to draw near to him, get my gaze fixed on him, get my mind directed to his truth, primarily in the form of his word, and then he's gonna fill me up with the things that are needed for me and for the others that he's gonna put in my path. The things that spill over from a spirit-directed vessel are the things God can use because they're the things he ultimately produced. The things that spill over from a spirit-directed vessel are the things God can use. Why? Because he's the one who's producing them. So I'm sure you're all familiar with this passage, but the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is producing fruit in my life instead of me producing an outflow in my life, what will come out of my life? These kinds of things, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, those kinds of things. Because that's the kind of stuff that the Spirit produces in my life. So quick litmus test. Sometimes if I see that these things aren't true, then am I being led by the Spirit of God? No. Simple. If I say that I'm 
presently enjoying intimate fellowship with God and I'm presently loving God but I'm hating my brother, am I actually in fellowship? Can't be. Because the Spirit of God would never direct me to hate my brother in Christ. And so if I'm doing that, I'm not being influenced by the Spirit. There's a lot of ways that we can tell, right? Because there's things we'll be doing or saying or a mentality that we'll be having that's incompatible with what the Spirit would produce. So in any event, the chapter ends with Another summary. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, a lot of provisions, nine of them, nine specific provisions in the middle. Book ends with the first verse. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Conclusion, goodness and mercy are gonna follow me all the days of my life. If God has provided for complete care of me, then that's what I have to look forward to. Those middle verses all bring that out. But as we think about being this guest of the King of Kings, imagine that. I'm the guest of the King of Kings. I can only find God's refreshment where God is. So if you're saying, I need my cup filled up this morning, you can only find it where God is. He is the source of those blessings. He's the source of filling you up. So if you're looking for it somewhere else, you're not gonna find it if he's the exclusive source of it. So the issue is, am I finding my way to the right tent to be the guest of the right host? Am I finding my way to the Lord's house? Am I finding my way to where he is? Because if I go to where he is to receive his blessing, to have my cup filled with him, am I getting to that place? See, a guest cannot enjoy the abundant and generous provision and blessing of a host without coming to dinner. You gotta come to dinner, dine with the host, spend time with him. And the thing about God, and this isn't true of me, make sure you call in advance, but God says you're invited to stop by at any time. No advance warning is necessary. He says, come to my tent, come to my house, come stop by, and when you do, what will happen? My cup's gonna be overflowing again because he's always wanting to do that, but I need to go to where he is. So the question is, will I? Will I do that? And my prayer for you and myself is that we would remain focused on him with this fill my cup, Lord, run it over kind of perspective. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. Thank you for reminding us of these so many wonderful truths and useful truths. Pray that we would see the value in meditating on these things and filling our cup with the right things, going to the right place to be filled, and then allowing you to do your work in our lives. Thank you for these wonderful promises. In Jesus' name, amen.